You are listening to Chthonia, the podcast of the Dark Feminine. Chthonia's logo was designed by J.R. Malpair. Background music is Phantasm by Kevin McLeod. Welcome to Chthonia. Um, my name is Breach Burke. I'm your host for this episode. And for this week, we have a special episode. Um, I have my a special guest this week, uh, April Shaley. Um, April has a, uh, is a, um, a, a, she's an astrologer, she's a poet, she's a dancer, uh, she has, you know, she's a wonderfully creative person, uh, her website, uh, April's Arcana, I'll have that posted, um, in the, uh, podcast notes and also on, uh, the YouTube version of this so that you can check out her site. Um, and, uh, April and I are going to talk today about the, the goddess Morrigan. Welcome, April. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and, and it's a real pleasure. I'm glad we finally were able to make this work. Um, so I guess what I want to talk about, first of all, is just um, who is, um, you know, like, we, we just want to talk about the Morrigan. Uh, who, you know, who is she? Like, what, what is your, you know, what, what kind of folklore do you know um, about her? What stories do you, you know, do, you know, if we want to just talk about her in the most basic, you know, definition for people who don't know? Well, I think the Morrigan is so many selves. Um, she's said to be a triple goddess. She's associated with the raven. Um, that's her most famous association. But she really, I think, is a shapeshifter. So she comes in many forms. Like the, she's, she's appeared as a wolf. Um, she's appeared as an eel. She's associated with cattle. She's associated with wealth. Um, and you and I were talking about how we're both Tauruses. I feel that's also a connection because of the cattle connection. Um, and she is, you know, her most famous attributes are that of a battle goddess and her appearances in, in prophecy, um, as she's prophesizing what's going to happen next in, in battle and, and the deaths of, uh, certain warriors in the Irish mythology. Um, but she, also, to me, and the way I think she speaks to me even more than that in a, on a personal level is as a goddess of sovereignty. And I think um, given her origins in, in Ireland, I think that that sovereignty piece is really super important, given some of the struggles um, that that Ireland has had for, you know, for, for maintaining, for, for reclaiming their sovereignty as well. So um, she you know, she can be depicted in these ways, I think, that um, are are not quite the way that I personally experience her. I think if you Google her, you'll find either like really sort of pornographic <laughs> sort of depictions of her where she's right. over-sexualized, yep. right? Mm-hmm. She's like, you know, seen as this, this dominating, bloodthirsty dominatrix. And I think that's a certain fantasy that's there. And, and maybe she serves in that way for some people. I don't know. Or, or she's a desexualized, um, sort of punishing, you know, uh, a battle goddess. She, and she is a battle goddess, but she's more than that. She's, she's, um, depicted as, as somebody who you can't actually communicate with. Uh, you only do so at your own peril. And I f- have found, you know, moving to Ireland and, experiencing her like her signal that much stronger because she's at like it's sort of her epicenter Mm -hmm. i find that her messaging is a lot more complex than any of those things 
like the, you know, and so, um, she's been quite encouraging of me in my communication with her, um, in terms of sovereignty. And that really seems to be what it all comes down to. That's what the battles are for. They're for sovereignty. That's, that seems to be the core thing to me of what she's, she's about. And of course she's the land itself. Mm-hmm. As I've, you know, lived in Ireland, that's one of the things that I've found is you can see you know, taking the train to Dublin, looking out the window, there she is. She's the cattle and she's the, the black winged creatures that are, you know, th- that are winging around the cattle and she's the land itself. And she is this sort of the dark goddess aspect of, of Ireland. So that's, that's who I see her as being. And, you know, she has a lot of, uh, you know, d- different stories. One of the stories that I find the most interesting, um, and resonant for, for me. And again, I, I always bring it back to myself because I feel that this is, this is what I know best, that relationship that I personally have with Absolutely, her. Absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's her, her association with, with Samhain and, um, with the Dagda and her, um, I mean, this isn't the only story that's that's important, but this is one of the stories that that I find myself um, connecting to a lot is her her relationship to the Dagda, who is life, and she could be seen as death, and that they are a pair of of um, complementary opposites. They um, they get together at the river at Samhain, um, and her stories about you know the Morgan's cave as well. I actually spent time in that cave. Yep, you me know, too. Going, going in there and, and <laughs> sitting in there, spending time and listening to her, right? So that's like one of these rites of passage to really get to know her, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, is this place of initiation. Um, really ancient place, of course, and, and, uh, there she was speaking to me and, in, in, you know, I could hear her, you know, in, in my mind in what felt to me like a language that maybe I knew long time ago and that was maybe in my bones that, that I thought was, Irish, but I don't know Irish yet. This is something that I'm endeavoring to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, my partner, uh, David, said, well, how do you know it was modern Irish? This could be Irish. You know, we don't know what this is. Because it right. felt like an old, really old um, something that I knew. Like I said, at some point, and I could feel it like at the tip of my tongue, like that I could speak back and, and, and understand, you know. Mm-hmm. So and she said to come out of this, this cave, this beautiful cave at Samhain. Um, every sound. Yeah, the cave, the gate of Ireland's hell. <laughs> the so-called gate to hell. You know? There's no no Christianization there, right? Right. Yeah. It's uh, yes. No, and- no Christianization. <laughs> you know, and she that's focus on is her like monstrosity, and I would say, you know, yeah, there there's certainly that, and I respect that aspect of her, but I feel it behooves me to also draw out and speak about the other aspects of her, because there's so much more to her than just that. Well, that or, like I say, the sexualized, over-sexualized, dominatrix, gothic sort of look, you know? No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, um, yeah, and thank you for that, because that, that covers a lot, of, a lot of that, all of the important things. She's a battle goddess. Uh, she definitely has a sexual dimension to her. Um, I think of the story of um, with yes. her with Kruniak, I think is his name, where she um, she appears to him and, um, you know, she comes and she has children with him and she, um, you know, takes care of his household. And she says to him, don't, you know, and she, you know, there, she has, she's obviously not a human because she can run very fast. 
And she says, look, whatever you do, don't don't tell anybody about me and what I can do. But of course, what does he do? He gets drunk, he gets drunk, he brags to the king. He says, oh, uh, my wife can run faster than you. And, you know, and so she um, they end up getting into this, um, you know, he ends she's she's heavily pregnant and about to give birth. And uh, the king demands that she run a char- this race with him. And uh, she says, well, let me give birth first. And he says, no, you know, you have to do this now. So she, 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 when she does, she wins the race, she gives birth. And in some versions, she quote unquote dies at the end of it, which I don't, I don't know. I don't really feel that that's probably what happens. But in some versions, she dies. In any version, she ends up cursing the people, I think the men of Ulster, to have uh, labor pains at the time of their greatest need. Um, because of their insensitivity right. towards her. Yeah. Yes. And that's where that that's where I I I hope I'm saying this correctly. Is it Emain Maka in um Northern Ireland? Near Armagh? I don't know if I'm saying that correctly because my yes. my Irish is terrible as I've been told. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, and, and, and it's interesting. I think it's a really language for those of us who uh, who were raised on American English. So, yeah. don't feel, don't feel like you have to have mastered, you know? That's, oh, you know what? I'll tell you, I, I, I took Irish, I actually formally took Irish with a woman from Wicklow for two years, and I still can't speak Irish right. for crap, you know? It's just, I look at it, and if I'm there, and if I'm there long enough, then it's like, you kind of get immersed. But, um, otherwise, I'm like, okay, there's the American twang. I just, I just can't get away from it. So, <laughs> you know, you just can't. Yeah. But but you understand. And and it's um, and the sovereignty thing, certainly with Tara and the and the high kings. Um, and but also when I think about Ulster, I also I, I also think about how the Morrigan story tends to overlap with that of Maeve, of Queen Maeve. Um, be, you know, I mean, I don't right. know, what do you think about that? Because to me, I, I read their stories and I said, you know what? I, I almost feel like, I mean, in some ways they might, they're not, they're not the same goddess, but they are. Well, well I, I think, think that's, that's exactly, exactly apt. apt. They're, they're not, not the, the same, same goddess, goddess, but they, they are. Yeah. There's, you, you know, know, again, I think they're in some ways conflated somewhat inappropriately. And then some, in some ways, that's not true at all. They they should be connected because um, that seems to me, in my sense of things, the way that Irish mythology tends to work. We we tend to think of things in sort of linear narratives, right? That's sort of how we've been trained to think. Irish mythology to me reads and feels almost more like the way that the standing stones themselves are built. Like, there's layers and there's it's circular and there's like almost a web of of connections. It's just made differently. So I think it's hard for us who have again like sort of been raised on a more left-brained, more linear way of thinking, where everything is is about you know it's how it's written and it's how it's um it's how it's told. It has, it has to make some sort of narrative sense. Right. I think it, I, my sense of things is Irish mythology has a, quite a different sort of orientation. And it, it's even, you know, that's what I find so fascinating about it and so beautiful and magical about it. So the reason I'm saying that is because I do believe that Maeve and the Morrigan are, they're quite connected. And I know that for myself, my, on my internal landscape, they, they definitely, um, work with and off of each other in a way that seems to be similar territory. Um, 
and and that's how I, I experience them. And again, you know, this has been amplified. I've, I've had a relationship to both of these um, beings for like my own my, all my life, but before I could even name this is the Morrigan. It was like when I found the Morrigan, I recognized her. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's who I've been connecting to. Yep. That's that feeling that I've had all this time. That's who that is. Yep. And then Maeve as well. You know, um, but Maeve to me seems like more the legendary human personification of her. Mm-hmm. And then Morrigan is more the, the celestial goddess. Like she's, she's, she's the bigger backdrop in a way. And I think of like, um, Morgan Le Fay is kind of that way. And I know that that can be a really controversial topic if more is, is Morgan Le Fay at all related to the Morrigan, but my intuitive sense is that they definitely are. Um, so, so in that way, if you, if you're looking at it more intuitively, they, Maeve and Morrigan absolutely have a very powerful relationship. If you're looking at it in a more academic, literal kind of way, or, or, you know, um, more, more in terms of separating one thing is different from the other, you know, then you're going to find the differences. So I think it's the way you're looking at it. And if you're, whether you're coming at it with feeling and a, and a, and a way of, you know, trying to, to know these beings, with with your soul, mm-hmm. or if you're coming at it more intellectually, you're going to see differences, like I say. Um, right. So that's the way I would look at it. No, that's and I think Eve is very much also about the last. Mm-hmm. No, that's a very good way to that's a good good way to think about it because it's uh, yeah because it's not as linear. And I think also part of the thing with Irish mythology is a lot of what we know, at least in a literary sense, has been written down by monks. Um, has been written down by, say, the Romans. We don't, we don't actually have the, um, and we, you know, we talk about the Druids, but, you know, this could predate the Druids too. I mean, we don't, we don't know, um, enough. We just know, um, you know, we, we can kind of get a sense from what's there. Uh, and that's part of the problem too, because, you know, there may be certain things that are exaggerated or a sense that, that, that perhaps the, the people who worshiped her didn't really think or feel about her at all. Um, and it's uh, and it makes it interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it definitely does make it interesting. And yeah, that that influence of the the whole Greco-Roman influence on it, and the way that like we're like they're writing things down, the way that they would understand the narr- like the the structure of the story to go. Right. So that's what we know. But maybe if this was was we learned these stories through an oral transmission. You know, if we learn these stories in, in, in an embodied way, I don't know how quite to say it. There's probably better words for that. But if we learn them that way, like in our very bones and blood, these connections would make more sense and it wouldn't be even a question. And, right. And I think that they do. I think um, that's why when I when I think when I approach the subject of the Morrigan, I kind of feel like, OK, um, there's a lot of things that I might approach, like you just said, intellectually or, or maybe academically to some degree. But this is one where I'm kind of like, no, there's, I feel like the Morrigan is more something that's felt because what's what's known about her is not. Um, you know, my impression of her, certainly from the monks and the people who've written, um, is that, is, is, you know, obviously it's a very negative connotation. Um, there's somebody was talking, they, I don't have um, the note in front of me, but one of the um, illuminated manuscripts from, I think, the 7th or 8th century from Ireland, I can't remember which one it is, but it, actually it was a Bible. It's a, it was an old Bible, and there's that Isaiah 34:14 about Lilith, the night hag. 
and uh, somebody, one yes. of the monks, makes a note in there, in, in the Irish version, circles the word um, Lilith and, and puts um, uh, Morgana, you know, puts, uh, a Lilith is like a Morrigan. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if you, you might know about that. A monster and female that is a Morrigan. Yes. It says monster and female form that is a Morrigan, um, describing, right, the Lamia, the, the Lilith. Yep. I find that incredibly fascinating. Me too. And I have not yet been able to get more concrete information about that. But again, intuitively, that makes a lot of sense to me. Because it, it, even if you look at the pictures, the way that these two goddesses are depicted, and maybe these are maybe more modern depictions of them, but they, they're, they're black-winged goddesses. Yes. You know, there's something to that. And again, I don't want to conflate them in ways that that are inappropriate, but they are connected. There is this, this there is a connection there. And in fact, in my again, in my own um, uh, experience and my own orientation, spiritual orientation, like sometimes Morgan and Lilith for me sort of flow back and forth in their the which facet is now facing an expression it within me. Yes, and, and, um, and I think there's a relationship you know, there, so too, yeah. That's interesting at that experience that I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, um, and certainly, um, well, well, certainly for any kind of a paradigm where you have, um, but certainly the kind of work that I've been doing is when we look at the good versus evil paradigm, and I don't think you and I particularly really function in that. It's, it's you know, it, it's not about... You know who, who's on what side? It's just you know there's there's dark goddesses and obviously the dark goddesses have a value. They're not they're not they're not evil. I mean you know you you can have these gods that are supposedly good. That was one thing I always thought about Greek mythology is that you have these gods and they're um, you know they're supposedly you know like the Olympians and you know and and you know they're oh they're they're representations of, of light and the celestial and I'm like yeah but they have some pretty horrible sides like yeah we also kill children and we do this and we do that and you know it's not what? yeah it's not all I, I, that's just something I feel that's kind of lost in this kind of monotheistic paradigm is like well you got to be on one side or the other and it's like well no it, it actually when you talk about these forces you're you're talking about something totally unpredictable. In a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. Right. Unpredictable. And they don't go. They. I don't think these goddesses give a shit about what our facts are or what our stories are or what our definitions are. Like when 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 you're in direct gnosis with them, that, that's not what they're talking about. They're not like, oh, yeah. You know, I've never received a message from a goddess saying to me. You should have brushed up on your studies about me, or you're not going to hear anything I say. <laughs> yeah. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> you know, it's like that. They're not interested. Our, our ideas of who they are are small. They're small. They're so much bigger than, than our, you know, anything. This does not mean to me that I have no respect for traditions. Right. Or, or the, the stories that come before. I, I definitely pay attention to those things very closely and and get derive a lot of enjoyment out of them and and a lot of wisdom and all the things that come from these ancient stories and then I also feel that and and know that these goddesses are alive they're living they're constantly telling us who they are 
So the Morgan doesn't necessarily need to look like she just popped out of the Iron Age, you know, and be stuck only in the in the transmissions that happened at that time. She's continuing to be a living goddess who is perpetually changing and perpetually being informed and informing what's happening currently. And to her, all time is now. She's not interested in our linear time either. Right. I don't think. No, I agree with you. Um, I'll just 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 because we're on that subject of of about about her as a living goddess. Um, yeah, and I think that's part of the reason I've I've had a real difficulty with um, sometimes with reading the old myths and not again like you say it's they're they're interesting they're fascinating um, they're they're worth knowing, um, but at the same time I. I, I don't, I feel like in some ways when I read them, I'm like, that's not the Morrigan that I know. Um, I got involved in a lot of this stuff that, you know, that I've been involved in, um, magical practice and, and, and these kinds of interests probably back in the mid 1980s. And I remember it's kind of like, it's funny because you said, you had said something to me earlier about, you know, first time you realized, hey, this is the Morrigan who's talking to me. I probably had, I had the same experience. It was probably around 1986 or 1987. And um, I started like having a narrative about her. I actually have something on my website called the Morrigan Diaries, which um, is like a series. It's actually, it, 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 I keep changing it because it's like a series of three novels. Then I'm like, well, maybe I should go and combine them into one again. Um, but, you know, it kind of deals with the different aspects of her, Maka, uh, Bav, and uh, Nemain, which are the three kind of listed as the three kind of main aspects of the Morrigan as the Great Queen. And, um, but I, but Maka seems to be the one who, um, who presents herself the most to me. And in fact, my friend, I have a, I have a picture there. My friend, uh, JR, who actually does did the logo for the Cthonia podcast, uh, of the crow, he also did an image, like I described her and he came, he came up with an image of her that looks exactly the way she looks in my mind. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, and it's funny how with her, just like for me with the goddess Kali, it's like, it's so visceral. It's like, she's right there. She's talking in your ear. Um, you know, it's not, and it may or may not yeah. match that mythological image. And it may to some degree, you know? Yes. And right. Right. And I, and I mean, I don't know. I, it sounds to me like your experiences might be somewhat similar or maybe not exactly like mine, but you know, uh, in, in your own, you know, in your own fashion and in your own life. Right. Yeah. And I, I really do uh, want to know all her stories. And I, I certainly do, you know, just because I have my own personal gnosis doesn't mean I dismiss any of the mythological stories. I don't, you know, I'm very interested in the, uh, uh, the cattle raid, uh, you know, and, and the Ulster cycle and all of these things. Um, but again, I, I just wouldn't just keep her there because I don't think that's needed for her. Like, that's not really what she, what she needs to do. There's there's things that have, you know, there's there's more to her um but yeah i i um I, she definitely speaks i understand what you're saying about her speaking to you in, in your ear i have that that same um experience of her and i've also got um messages from her <laughs> in my dream via facebook messaging oh wow that's pretty that she sent to me uh-huh think is an old version of Irish, and I've tried to take a picture of it in my mind because I can't take it with the camera because it's on the astral. So I've gotten, like, you know, 
she sent me Facebook messages because she was trying to, uh, the, the message I got was she was trying to reach me another way, and I was too preoccupied with my life. So she decided in dream time to send me a message via my phone on Facebook Messenger, and I saw it, and then I tried to take a mental photograph with it, like you do on the astral plane, right? I'm trying to bring this back into this physical reality. I can't take a screenshot, because it's not a real, it's an astral fucking phone, and I'm trying to do this, and then I came back trying to remember said there, and all I knew was, I need to learn Irish. That's it, That's what I came away with. Can't you leave your messages in English? Gosh, you know, yeah. No, this is my terms. This is my magical language. This is the magic. This is the language that I'm the most powerful in. So if you want to know me and you want to, you know, do my work and be my priestess, this is what you should learn. That's the message, I, you know, and that will deepen our relationship. Yeah. So my intention is this winter take Irish at the local library. They teach it for free. So, um that will be a way for me to get started anyway. Well, that's good. Yeah. And good, and good luck. Like I said, I think I, as I mentioned before we got started, I, well, we, I mentioned it in the, the process of this is that, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big thing because you know, how it looks and how it sounds are two entirely different things. And, um, you know, I mean, it's good to be there to be immersed too. You hear it like everywhere you go in the public, it's, they do every, all their announcements in Irish and in English and, um, that, that helps because, right. because then you, the more you see it in front of you, yeah. you know, that, that definitely would help. Oh, it definitely helps. Like, when I'm on the train and they say the station stops, I just repeat it myself. Yes. I just say it out loud. So i getting, a, like, a sense of how to speak it, even if I don't understand what's being said. Like, I just, I want to know what it feels like to my mouth to say it. Yeah. Um. Yes. And that's and I listen to it. Like, I listen to the quality of it, you know, so that I can get it, like, sort of my brain used to it, you know, oriented to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how I end up learning a lot of Sanskrit, because I would just listen to it over and over again, and I would recite it as it was being said by people who actually knew how to speak it. Um, and then, yeah, and then I had gotten good enough at that that I would, you know, have Indian friends, and they go, oh, where, where'd you learn to speak that? And I was like, well, just, just by listening and repeating. So that does work, um, for sure. Right. right. Um, yeah, if you can, you know, that's... Um, but, but certainly... Um, but one of the other things that I think about with the Morrigan, too, like we were talking about, um, you were talking about earlier about how she has a very sexualized ass. She kind of tends to be, people see her as either this dominatrix type or they tend to see her as this kind of, um, uh, you know, this, this very haggish kind of, um, per, you know, like, like there's kind of like a, there's kind of no middle ground there. It's like she's, she's one or the other. And um, right. I remember an article I read a few, uh, probably last year, or year before, from somebody who said, uh, "Stop sexualizing the Morrigan." And I'm like, "Well, you know, I, I understand their point about like all these video games and these other things that try to turn her into this kind of, you know, um, really kind of sexual object." But by the same token, I'm like, "Yeah, but but that that is a huge a huge part of her nature," and I think it kind of brought me around to to the fact that the Morrigan. Um, tends to be a very controversial figure. Um, I had read uh, the David Beth's uh, compilation on the underworld, and he when he talks about her and he talks about the kind of energy that she has, um, he says, you know, if, if you're not familiar with the Morrigan, you know, be careful with that kind of energy. But by the same token, he says he's aware, and, and as we know, that it seems like the Morrigan also calls a lot of people to her these days. 
Um, it's, it's interesting how you hear about yeah. how many people say, like, I'm called by the Morrigan. I mean, I'm sure you feel that way. I feel that way. And, um, you know, yeah. it's such a potent, such a potent, potent goddess um, who, yeah, I mean, you, you, you do, you know, it, it is an energy you, you want to be very respectful of, certainly. Um, but then the relationship is just so yes. visceral and personal, you know? Um, and people get very, like, you know, you, you mess with their idea of it, and they're like, oh, you know, people get, you know, oh, that's not what she is. You know, they get very, um, they can get very, very um, uh, bothered by that, I guess you could say. But, um, yeah, it, it's... Yeah! yeah. Mm-hmm. You've noticed that? <clears throat> yeah, yeah I, I absolutely agree. People really get possessive about her. Because yes. they have that relationship with her, and I think it's a hard... One relationship for some people, um, and there, and I think that there is something too that she can be a quote dangerous goddess to work with, but only if you're really attached to having things the way you you have them, because that's what she is. She's a dark goddess, um, for lack of better language. I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. You know, that's the language that I'm using to describe her. But she's. She's a transformative goddess. She's a shapeshifter. She should appear different to everybody because that's her nature. Is a, she's a shapeshifter. She's a trickster goddess. And she's queen at the same time. So she has that very formidable energy. And I think that she's also an antidote. One of the reasons she's being called, or she's calling so many of us, you know, like a murder of crows. She's calling us to her at sunset, right? And she's like, she's the antidote to the over-solarizing of the world. She's the antidote to, like, the, the patriarchal, hero-oriented, you know, orientation that we have. And that's, like, her battle with her her, her power struggle with Kukulin. That's all illustrated in that story, um, where she, like, the, he rejects her at one point. She, she says, hey, and he rejects her out of this positioning of, of superiority. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't need you for anything. Yep. I can do this myself. And we know that the mask cannot function without the feminine. The sun can't function without the moon. It's not going to work. The night and the day need each other. So he makes a terrible mistake doing this, and she fucks with him. And he fucks with her. And they, they have this whole thing. But she, in the end, he's propped up on a standing stone, and she sits on his shoulder like, ah, oh, yes. It was intestines wrapped around him. That's right. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's the story. And, you know, know where has this really positive relationship with the Dagda, who is more of a representative of that truly divine masculinity um, as the god of life, and that seems to be quite an equal relationship. And and they they actually work together, and they that's a and that's where her sexuality as the river itself, I think, um, really comes fo- forward in the stories. So her sexuality is very integrated. We see sexuality as I think as something that is sort of, we, we still as Westerners pornographize sexuality or tabooize it, right? And I think that what she is, is the embodiment of it being integrated. And I think that's where people get confused and fucked up around this, is that they are trying to see it the way that we're habitually looking at sexuality. And she is, net, she at, being a dark goddess, it's integrated. Kind of the way Lilith has her sexuality integrated into her whole being. It's not a separate thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I find, again, as, as a goddess that I have a devotion to, I find that really inspiring. And I see her as, you know, in her most positive light, I see her as a model. 
Yes. You know, and when she works through me, through my own body, you know, as, as her priestess, she works through me and my, through my own body and my own relationship, my personal relationship with my partner. And that is her sexuality comes through me at that time. So it's definitely there. She's, she's not just a desexualized, again, you know, hag, and she's not a pornographizable dominatrix who's just like, it's always seen as, she's always seen as heartless, and I have not experienced her that way. And I've even seen it said, written, that if you're experiencing her in any kind of nice way where she's be helpful to you, that's not really the Morrigan. And I say bullshit. Right. I know who I'm talking to. Yes. And it's interesting because when I experience her, I do sometimes experience her in a kind of, um, I don't know, quote unquote heartless way, but it's only apparently or superficially heartless behind it. There's always yes. something that is, that is, that is not, there is, there's definitely something there that is more, um, uh, more helpful or more humane, or I don't know. I, I don't know what the, maybe I'm not using the right adjectives, but it's just, she's, it's, it's never, yeah. it's never something just, you know, just because she's, you know, being a heartless bitch or something, you know what I mean? It, it, there's always something behind it that later on you say, oh, that's why she's that way, <laughs> you know? Um, yes. Now, Kali, she's the most compassionate goddess because she releases you from your attachments. Yes. That's, and, and she seems the most heartful. She's got the skull and the sickle and the, she's dancing on Shiva, but she's releasing you from your attachments. That is the most compassionate thing. No, she's not going to come running out with a tray of cookies and an apron, you know, with words of affirmation. She's not going to do that. Right. She's saying, if you want what's true and if you want your sovereignty, Th- go this direction. direction. This, this is, is the way, way. you know, mm-hmm. um, she's, she's not an enemy. I think that that's a Christianized thing that I, I find a lot of people who write about her now and the trend right now is to write about her and like, she's very dangerous right? and she's mean and you should only, you should talk to her at all because she's going to destroy you. Right. You know, I don't think that's what she's after or she's going to use you and you have to make contracts with her to make her, you know, bow to your will, too, or, or this kind of stuff. I just feel like that's so small minded. It's small. Well, it's, if, you, it's if you relate to her in a bigger way. Yeah. And it traps you in that that again, that good evil paradigm. What you're dealing with is either there to destroy you or it's there, you know, because, you know, oh, it's there to save you from something in some way. And it's like, it, no, that's not that's not the way it works. I mean, you know, it can work that way i guess at times but it's not that's not um you're you're not dealing with somebody um the energies are certainly intense intense is certainly a fair thing to say but um but the intensity does not mean does not equal evil or or harmful no Uh, no and and even if it screws up like darkness things aren't evil they've been seen as evil forever they're not no exactly yes that's exactly right and and the more that you get to know them um, you know, uh, like I said, for me, it's been the Morrigan for many years. Then after I'd gotten divorced, I, I, I encountered Kali worship through my, uh, my guru. And, um, and that was just, that was intense too, because I would, I would literally like walk down the street in New York city and I would hear the, Hey, you come over here. And I go over, I'd turn to where I, where, where the hell is that coming from? And then I'd be walking into a Kali temple. I was like, <laughs> where did this come from? You know? And it was, yeah, it, it's, it's just, right. it's intense, but you know what? My, that's the, that's the very first time I ever had like a real crystal clarity about, um, being in the center and being quiet and letting everything be as it is. That that was through the experience of both Kali and the Morrigan, and I said, you know, you don't you don't get that experience when it's just a matter of catering to what you want, you know. No. Yeah. No, they're they're complex, 
they're challenging, and they will fuck you up again in terms of how much you're wanna you're trying. To, if you're called by one of these goddesses and you're hanging on to dear for dear life to something that you're attached to, that's when you're gonna get hurt, and it, and that's where your suffering comes in. And then you then we say, oh, the goddess is causing that. No, she's liberating you. You just don't think so. Right, you're you're hanging on, and it's just kind of like she's saying, "Jump, I'll catch you," and you're kind of like, "No, I have to hang on to the edge of this cliff." And uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, right. I, right. Yep, I, I watch other people do it. I've done it myself. I, I can be as guilty as charged, um, you know. And and then you just kind of be like, "Okay, okay, it's it's time to figure out what to let go of here." And once you do it, then it's fine, <laughs> you know. Right. Right. Yeah. And then you're bigger than you were before. You're more expansive in consciousness than you were before. So, like, the one of the things I, I've said, you know, about Lilith many times, and this is this has come to me, you know, in my own meditations and in my own life experiences, you know, again, that the Lilith, Morgan, the, the dark feminine energy is the antidote to what ails us right now. Because it's been so rejected. And so vilified and so, like you said, that polarity of good and evil. She's been really put into that evil category. And, but that's where the richness is. Again, the complexity, the, the ambiguity, the mystery, all the things that make life juicy and worth living, you know, and not just one dimensional, two dimensional, overly bright, you know, whatever. I, I'm trying to find the right language, but like, um, um, to me, that's the magic, mm-hmm. and that and that she's so like she could she connects with so viscerally. The visceral is like where we need to go. We it's like we see. I I think we as Westerners need to get out of physical literal materialism, but at the same time we need to get more visceral. We need to get more physical. We need to recognize that connection between vibrational energy and our physical bodies and be present there. Yeah, no, that's that's just it, because there's there's a tendency, I think, in our culture when we separate, like I think of, you know, um, you're you're familiar with Jake Stratton Kent's work, too. Um, you know, when Jake talks about, you know, you know, his he sort of likes to pick on Platonism or Neoplatonism. And it was funny when I was writing my doctoral dissertation right. and I'm looking at that and I'm like, yeah, there's this whole dichotomy between the spiritual and the material and the material ends up being treated like something that's lesser or that's inferior or something that, you know, uh, oh, well, you need to avoid this if you want to be, you know, saved from a bad death or something. Like, you know, that's when you start connecting judgment, um, you know, because, you know, we they talk about the chthonic realm yeah. in a very um, scary kind of a way. But but, Plut- you know, but Pluto is also, you know, there's there's a relationship to Pluton, which is wealth, which is, you know, that the riches yeah, that come yeah. out of that and or the, the fruit of the vine or, or the joy of sexuality. And, and we've been trained to believe that all of that in like, you know, in I, I, I know people hate the term Judeo-Christian, but but nonetheless, in that kind of paradigm, it, it's just the idea that um You've, you know, that, that any, anything that you enjoy is somehow sinful or bad or needs to be corrected. And, and, um, I, I agree with Joseph yeah. Campbell. He was just like, he says, I think that's a really childish attitude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's one of my favorites. And I know he has his own reasons to, that he's controversial too, but he was alive during the time he was with what he knew and what he had. And he contributed a great deal to the world of mythology and, you know, comparative religion. So, right. No, I, I, and he's an Aries. So he's all, and he made his own path. So it's all myth and, you know, it's, 
What's that? I said he's he and he and he's um uh what, what did I just say? He was um yeah, and he made his own path. He 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 didn't go to Columbia and get his doctorate. He said I'm gonna go in the woods and read for five years. You know, <laughs> he was um right. I mean I right. yeah, I don't agree with everything he says, but I do respect what he did for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I love listening to him. You know, and I can do my own discernment and take, you know, things that work and don't, things that don't. But overall, I feel that he gave a lot. So I really appreciate him. Quote him a lot. I still teach him to my students, even though my colleagues have, you know, they've taken the anthropological bent. They're like, well, you know, you shouldn't, you know, it's better. I'm like, no, for introductions to people who have no, no clue and no, no basis and no anything, he at least kind of gives you the, Hey, you know, th- here's a path you might want to get onto, and then you know, and then we can worry about the the details. But you know, it's and the monomyth, yeah, okay, you know, probably not. But you know, it's but the bottom, but yeah, but but still the idea that it's about making your own path in a world where there really, you know, there really aren't any defined paths, um, or that making your own path is, right. is the is really well, that is the way to go now. We don't we don't have a culture where there's there's one unified. I don't know tribal belief or religious belief or, or something like that. So yeah, I think that's, um, that's an important, it's important to make your own path. And, um, yes, and I think, absolutely. And I think goddess, the whole journey. journey. Yeah. And I think actually a lot of the dark mothers, I mean, the Morrigan and, and others who seem to be, um, kind of part of this kind of resurgence of dark mother, um, energy that's coming up in the world, um, yeah, I tend to agree that this is kind of like, okay, we need a rebalancing here because regardless of whether you're, you come up in a monotheistic kind of background, Christian, you know, Jewish, whatever it is, Islamic, or whether or not you've rejected all that and maybe perhaps taken, and not that it has to be one or the other, but if you've taken an extremely rationalistic, atheistic, or scientific viewpoint, either way, you're, you're like what my, one of my, my former professors used to call Yang heavy, you know, you're still, <laughs> You're still kind of lopsided yeah. on the intellectual side. Mm-hmm. Yes, Ang heavy. Yeah. Right. right. Yes. And, uh, you know, and I think that all this is an important, I think the work that you do is really important. And I, I hope that the work that I'm doing will be important to somebody. <laughs> uh, in this important direction. to me. Here. Here. What's that? So it's important, so it's important to, me. to me. That's why I'm here. Yes, with you. Yeah, exactly. And 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 that's why um that's why I like I, I enjoy your work and why it's important to me. And um you know and the work of others who are doing you know working in similar similar areas. Um, there needs to be a a kind of rebalancing right. there, and I think we're all kind of tuned into that. Um, but uh but yeah, those energies are very intense. And and I think one of the things I've always said about the dark mothers in particular is that that's. You know, I'm kind of like, okay, this is the feminine that people are afraid of. And it's like, well, what are you afraid of? You know, um, you know, what, 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 what threatens you about that? You know, <laughs> um, and that's, that's the question people right. have to answer, you know? What is it that's threatening? Yeah. I mean, I think I have a lot of ideas and, and, and I think a lot of people do, but, um, you know, one of the things that, as you're saying that I'm thinking about is, you know, getting back to the Morgan is her association with prophecy and fate. Yes. And that, and that I find it really fascinating, and and and, and this lends, lends itself, or I draw from this a great deal in my own creative work. work. Just, just this this this, this um the power, the power of this image or this um this archetype of the the dark goddess as being connected to fate. Mm-hmm. 
and that these, you know, many different cultures, that's how she shows up, is as fate shows up as the dark goddess. And that interplay between fate and free will, you know, we have that heroic hero's journey, you know, the hero's journey and the, and the, 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 the individual who can create their own fate. And there's a lot of this as well in, um, um, in the new age world with some of the channeled, um, some of the channeled, I don't know what we'd call them, entities like Abraham Hicks right? and all this that you're, you're completely creating reality yourself and every vibrational tone you hold is what's creating your reality. And, and, you know, I've, as an astrologer, one of the things that I find myself contemplating going back and forth on is this idea, this, this sort of interplay between that you create your own reality, free will thing, and then this ancient idea of fate and these the, the Norns, the Morrigan, who makes these prophecies, you know, and is able to, you know, her aspect is, you know, like you were talking about earlier, and her aspect is Maka could curse for generations, you know, that, that would come to pass. This idea of weaving webs with the, with the, um, with the Norns and with the, um, the, uh, the uh, I can't I think of the, the not the Arrhenes the the, the, um, the the kindly ones the, the Greek, Greek the Greek why can't, why can't I think of this the fates I guess they're just the fates but then there's another word the kindly yeah. ones mm-hmm. yes yeah all those there's tri- all these triple god dark goddesses who who weave webs mm-hmm. and if you look at like astrology and uh, you know, we're born with a chart. That's the web right there. That is the, that map is your web. That's the web of weird. That's your portion of it, you know? And yet we do create our own reality at the same time. There is that solar principle of the hero's journey and going forward and, and doing things out of will, true will, you know? So that relationship between these, these kinds of um, sort of the solar and the lunar, is, is I, find I find so interesting that interplay and how they sort of need each other. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and, and yeah, and, and, and there's that, um, it was interesting that, you know, we're, we're talking about that. You're talking about the hero's journey. And then we're talking about this, this whole weaving aspect. Uh, when I was in grad school, um, I had a, one, my dissertation mm-hmm. advisor was an absolutely wonderful person. And she, one of her things was she had said, um, she says, you know, the hero's journey is, is very masculine. And it's, 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 you know, she goes, what she, could, she would, she would used to had asked us at one point, what do you think the female hero journey looks like? I mean, you can talk about Eros and Psyche and you yeah, can talk yeah. about different things, but she says, no, she goes, I think the, the feminine hero is the weaver. She says, I think the feminine hero is the one who, mm-hmm. who takes the disparate threads and, um, you know, cuts the ones that don't belong and then puts together, you know, and then takes things and, and, and weaves them into a pattern, whether they appear to go together or not. Um, so that's a, that's a really interesting perspective. Yeah, it, it's uh, it was interesting. And uh, she's um, yeah, she she was just uh, I was I was God, let me tell you, when I went to grad school, I was so lucky because it could be an absolutely awful experience. And she made it really wonderful. Um, it was, yeah, that was, right. that was just a really, and I, I thought about that and I try to teach my students that too. I said, you know, this is this, this idea of weaving. And so that's, that's a very good point about the chart and also about the way in which the fates weave. I mean, think about Athena or Minerva as weavers, um, as well. And, um, you know, uh, yeah. you know, and, and Athena actually tends to, when we talk about the Morrigan and the, and the sovereignty, she was, um, well, also with her, like when we talk about her, um, 
you know, Kuk, um, uh, Kukulan and her, um, you know, his rejection of her when she, um, she offers herself yeah. to him. Yeah. She, he, um, you know, uh, and then she kind of gets back at him. It's kind of like Athena and Ajax, you know, he comes, she comes to him on the battlefield. He says, Oh, go away, woman. Yeah. I don't need you. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm great. I can do this myself. And then of course he ends up killing all these livestock and then, um, thinking it's the Greek warriors. And then he ends up killing himself in humiliation. And the prophet says, oh, that's because, right, you know, right. he rejected Athena. It's the same thing. So it's it's interesting, these weaving. Yeah. Women. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that, that happens, that happens with the Aristea, too. Yes. Where the fates end up harassing him, you know, and causing causing a lot of pain because he's decided, decided that they don't matter. matter you, know? you know? Right. Um, and the whole, the whole patricide and that the fates represent the side of life. That's the blood debt. They have their song about the blood debt. Like you can't just, you kill somebody, you pay in blood. And then the solar side is you kill somebody and the law matters more. It's the intellect that matters. And Athena's part of that whole thing, the Oresteia. Yes. And she eventually. She's the one that makes a decision for the patriarch. Yes. And, and there's the, so that right there points to me how it's actually the fates that a whole bringing that not bringing back blood debt per se but that's kind of what the morrigan's all about too that's how that bloodthirst of kali the morrigan the fates all of that lilith she's said to be a vampire there's something in that that whole visceral that when we traumatize you can even relate it to trauma that when we're traumatized in some severe way our bodies like crave some sort of energy balance like you can't get that out with thought right no, no, you're right. And, and, and that's just it. And sometimes we have to listen to our intuition. We have to listen to our emotions and we have to listen to our body and, and put all the logical stuff out of the way. Um, that's, and that's a really hard thing to do because we're trained to say, Oh, well, don't listen to, don't listen to your gut feelings. That's, you know, that's, you know, that's not being rational. That's not being logical. It's like, no, actually it's not. And sometimes you need to, irrational sometimes is good. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. Like unrational. That's right. Unrational. Yeah. Rather than that, that's in a kind of. A... Right. So, um, well, I think we're probably just at about the 45 minute point and I know, um, you've got other commitments. Um, but, uh, but I just want to say, you know, is there anything else you wanted to add before we wrapped up or do you think you're, uh, I think that's everything. <clears throat> I, I think we've covered a lot. Um, and I mean, I could talk about Oregon all day. I mean, I've just had so many, especially since moving to Ireland, I've just had so many experiences with her speaking to me directly. Um, and I've just come to my relationship with her has strengthened, you know, so much. Um, and, and I'm really, uh, it's, it's just, just such a big part of my life, my life. And, and the and the, and the, and the sort of the energy and intelligence that I draw from, you know, creatively and also an astrologer. Like it's definitely changed the way that I read charts. You know, I, I was taught as a modern astrologer that I should uh, look at everything more in that kind of everything's um, free will and it's all in how you do things yourself and you can change everything. But uh, I've come to a, a new kind of respect for the more faded things. And it actually relieves some anxiety because, well, God, how anxious is it to be responsible for everything? Right. 
And no, and, and what if you can just sort of, sort of relax a bit and let your fate play out? Not that you should be passive. You still need to be responsible and creative. But, mm-hmm. but that maybe there's something you're here to play out and that you can be held by the goddess in that. And then the Morgan, as, as this goddess of prophecy, has kind of shown me that, that there's this other side to thinking about these things that should be honored. And that, again, that whole feminine side of things. So I guess that was, you know, yeah. That, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a great point. Yeah. And, and the fact that, uh, yeah, sometimes you just have to let life be and you're, you're not, you're not always in control and, uh, but relinquishing control sometimes I, is the hardest thing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. right. Yeah. And it's sometimes a great thing. Then it gives, then it gives you, some you some room to actually be more creative, creative if you like, you know, it's an artist. It's an artist. I know that create creativity does kind of rely on having some, par- some parameters. Mm-hmm. You just have free reign to create whatever you feel like time. Right. There's just so many possibilities. You can't really even function. You know, you can't get your, your bearings. But if you have like, okay, this is the medium you're going to use. And this is the parameters. This is the material. Sometimes, Sometimes it's easier to be creative that way and actually create something wonderful rather than it being haphazard and all over the place because you have too many choices. So sometimes working within your fate can maybe have that, you know, making that connection right now, that can have that kind of effect. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's it's very much, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, um, you know, and sometimes it's just a matter of, of just being quiet and listening to yourself. And that, that also involves turning the rationality yeah. Yeah. off. Um, you know, and that's, and well, that's, well, and that's one of the things that's great. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. No, we're, we're, it's, yeah, it's kind of, we got this thing where it's, it's, um, uh, not knowing, but no, it's just, it, uh, what was it? It was, um, Ralph Blum's book of runes when he has the blank rune and he just talks about, he says, relinquishing control is the greatest challenge of the spiritual warrior because, you know, we're, we're, we're happy with what yeah. we know and with what we're familiar with and what we can do. But then it's like, you know, when, when we get thrown a curveball, then it's just kind of like, you know, we freak out and we say, oh, look at all these bad things. And it's like, well, no, this is, you know, this could be an opportunity. But um, I think a lot of times we, yeah. we don't see it that way. And uh, it, 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 like like you were saying earlier about, you know, you know, letting letting the Morrigan do what she's going to do. Uh, it's not always um, pleasant, but it, you know, it's not always what you want, but it's often what you need. <laughs> you know. So. Yeah. yeah. And right and there, there mm-hmm. I, think I think that's an awesome, awesome place to end. To end. Yes, because that's, that's it right, right there, there, isn't it? Yep. I, I, I yep. I, we, we came to yeah. it. We came to it without planning it too much. That was great. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, well, I'm going to say, well, thank you, April, so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. Um, and I really enjoyed this and, um, I just want to like, let my, let everybody know out there that, um, you know, please, um, visit April's Arcana. I'll post the, the web link, um, check out, um, April's things, you know, get a reading from her. She's great. Um, and check out my, my links. I'll have my links posted as well to cathonia.net, um, and also to this, to this blog, uh, you know, to this uh, podcast and then to my other work. Uh, shout out to my patrons. I want to say thank you. Um, and you know, check out patreon.com slash cathonia. And April also has a Patreon, by the way, if you want to support her work too. Um, so, um, with, with that, I just want to say thanks very much and, uh, until next time. Okay. Thank you, April. Thank you. Thank you you so much. much. Okay. All right. Bye-bye now. Take care.